0: You're listening to 66.6 FM. Radio T O V H The Flush. Well, hey there everybody. It's me, Joe Thrash and Kill. You're listening to another thrilling episode of the Toilet of Hell Radio Show. Joined today by the
1: Good and Golden Boy,
0: the internet sweetheart. You know him, you love him, he's three hundred and sixty-five days of horror, as I like to call him Jordan.
1: Jordan, how are you? I am good because we are not talking about just the worst people in heavy metal this week. We're doing a theme show instead.
0: I apologize for last week's episode. That one sucked actually. Uh when by the time that you listen to this, I will be I think just returning from a short vacation. So, uh I will if I sound reenergized here, it's because uh, uh I am in the future uh, by transitive properties. It's complicated, really. But I'm, I'm especially excited uh, for the theme on this week's episode because, like, in the last five minutes, I found, like, life-changingly good music.
1: <laughs> it is, uh, we can preface that with tune in come October because we may have something special for you.
0: We definitely will. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll maybe get into these details a little bit later. But uh, in the meantime, how are, how are you, Jordan?
1: Doing okay, currently melting in about 90% humidity right now, and uh, for recording the show, I don't have the air conditioning on or a fan because I want to produce the best possible sound quality for everyone, so I'm just currently in a schwitz.
0: Yeah, uh, I have to turn off my AC whenever we do the show, and that pisses off everyone in the house, (laughs) so... When we do these uh, extra long episodes during the summer it's cuz we're really enjoying it and we really care about your listening experience. So remember that. Uh, Patreon.com slash an... toilet of hell give us money give us money give us money.
1: <laughs> this is going to be an extra moist show. It's going to be like a crowbar concert.
0: Ugh. I don't think either one of us has the the girth for that yet. Uh, we're working this
1: on is it.
0: I don't even know how this came up. Uh, okay, okay. I, I take it back. I do know how this came up. We're, do, we're doing a special episode today. What is the theme of this episode?
1: We are doing an episode focusing on obscure corporate record labels. Correct.
0: Uh, I realize that might sound unnecessarily specific, but we'll get there. It'll make a lot more sense. Um, The genesis for this, because I don't want to take credit for anything here undue, is that uh, somebody that I follow on Twitter shared a five-year-old YouTube video, and I never, ever, ever, ever watch YouTube videos, but this thing was appealing to me for reasons that I can't really articulate uh, because I'm not really interested in the subject matter whatsoever. Uh, But this was a video from a couple called Snipe and Wib. Uh, which uh, trigger warning, they are English, and I apologize for that.
1: Things uh, are extremely British, but you care about this subject so much that you powered through it.
0: Exactly. Uh, their video was called That One Time Games Workshop Had a Record Label. Um, this video that they put up several years ago has 75,000 views, so this is not new information we're sharing with anybody. Again, full credit where it is due. Thank you for these guys for putting this video together. But, uh, this 15-minute thing I was entranced by, uh, do you know what Games Workshop is?
1: That's like one of those generic names where it's like, I think so, but if you actually tell me, it's like, oh no, I was completely wrong, because I think I'm confusing it with Like DreamWorks and Imagineers Workshop and all these other things that aren't games.
0: So they should call Games Workshop uh, the Warhammer company. I think that would make more sense. Like,
1: do you know what Warhammer is? I do know what Warhammer is. There's actually a Warhammer store like five minutes from where I live. That's. But, I don't, uh, I,
0: I'm not super familiar with Warhammer, but I did go to a Warhammer store with Kit in Frisco, Texas, which was weird. Just like in the middle of a uh, like a kind of like family friendly uh, downtown square. They've got a fucking Space Marine statue outside.
1: <laughs> it is strange because. I think if you're not involved in any of this stuff, like we are, we just assume there's no possible way an actual brick and mortar store could exist and thrive and be a good business. But the one by me has been open for like 10 years. So I guess, you know, obviously people are very passionate about painting their little orcs and whatever, but to actually go and purchase in person and sustain a store is surprising. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I I went into this with him because they had a, the Warhammer Cafe there, and I really wanted a coffee. So you could get like a fucking Chaos Marine latte or a a, a, a Nurgle tea or something like that. It was really okay. a bizarre experience for me.
1: A bolt thrower muffin,
0: it, essentially. Um, <clears throat> I uh, I've never. But the, before that, the closest familiarity I had with Warhammer was uh, I had a roommate in college that I hated uh, who was uh, really shitty, uh, so uh, he would spend his spare time painting those miniatures, and uh, when he pissed me off, I would take one and throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> I realize that sounds incredibly shitty of me, and it was, but this guy sucked a lot. You got to understand, listener. This he had he had me over a barrel here. I had to I had to get back at him somehow.
1: What was the magnitude of suck?
0: I uh, would go. So we we uh, shared a room, right? It was two beds in one room, like dorm style, right? So he would come home late at night. And, like, I would be asleep in the room, and he would start fucking his girlfriend two feet away from me, and, like, they would make jokes, like, thinking that I was asleep about me.
1: Uh, and I gotta
0: tell you, that pissed me off pretty good. So from that day on, just whatever I felt an urge, I would throw away one of his hand-painted, super expensive little Warhammer figs. Robert, if you're listening to this, fuck you.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? If, uh, after telling me that, I think you're rather restrained than you're avenging.
0: You know, I know how much people love these little Warhammer doodads, so I, I felt like that that was an adequate uh, compromise for Spite. Uh, anyway, um, I know that these things are very, very, very expensive, and I know that it takes a long time and a lot of care to paint them. Supposedly, there's a game involved in there somewhere, too, but I have yet to see any evidence of that. Have
1: you? All I know is there's books and there's little figures, but... I think the people that I know that have done it just talk about painting it. So yeah. I mean, there could not be a game for all I know. Uh,
0: theoretically, there's a game, but it seems less popular than just buying the figures, uh, which seems like that's probably pretty good for Games Workshop, I would say. Uh, this company has been around for a very long time. Uh, f- like I remember, I think, renting a, a game called Space Hulk uh, when I was very little. That It was a terrible video game, very, very bad video game. Uh, there was apparently a Warhammer property, so that must have been like the mid-90s, I think. So, uh, this thing goes back to the early 80s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they make a lot of money. Uh, they're doing pretty well. People love their shit. Uh, and they they are so confident, or they were so confident in people loving their shit, that in the early 90s, they made their own record label. Now, <clears throat> Did you get a chance to listen to any of the releases from uh, games where, or Warhammer Records?
1: Uh, a few, and while watching the video that you had sent about this, there are some names that pop up that we've actually heard about, like S- Sabat? Sabat?
0: Yes, that would be the one. Never, that, I was never uh, sure how to pronounce it. Uh, I call it Sabat, and that would be the one with Andy Sneep, uh, not the one with uh, the, the, the Japanese guys that wear loincloths. Right. Um, which you know, some people say that is the inferior Sabbath, I and mean, whatever. That's that's up to you to decide. I'm not I'm not going to tell you what to think either way. Uh, but there was also um, some smaller bands uh, like Wraith, uh, which is like a hard rock band I was not familiar with previously. Something called D Rock, Saxon, and of course Bolt Thrower. Do you just want to say the word bolt thrower back and forth for a while? Would that make people happy?
1: Just yelling bolt thrower back and forth at each other and reminding people if they did this 20 years ago, they would have been more popular.
0: <laughs> a little late, man. Uh, it's okay. That's fine. Uh, so they, the Games Workshop people uh, decided that, yes, uh, the best way to... Uh, spread our our word here is to make a record label. I think what uh, they had noticed is that a number of uh, kids coming into the Games Workshop stores were wearing heavy metal tees. And I guess this would have been in the late 80s, early 90s. That would make sense. That was a very popular thing for the youth to be in back then, right?
1: Yeah, um, you have your niche markets where it's lots of hand-in-hand Heavy metal and horror movies and H.P. Lovecraft and, you know, Space Marine or Killers certainly fits that bill in its own weird, nerdy way.
0: I mean, let's let's be clear here. Like, if you're kind of a, a socially maladjusted weirdo, you're more likely to be into heavy metal and, like, fantasy role-playing games than, say, like, I don't know, going out to the club and shit. <laughs>
1: Playing sports?
0: Yeah. <laughs> doing one push up
1: <laughs> I guess I was the odd person out because I played a lot of sports in my youth and listened to this music so I was the weirdo I mean I uh, I played
0: a lot of sports too I wanted I like there was nothing I would like more in my youth to get into like role playing games and like anime and shit like that but like it was socially not allowed <laughs> So uh, here I am uh, the way I am this way. I can't change now.
1: Uh, I I feel like only recently in the past couple of years has doing role-playing games, whatever, become more socially acceptable thanks to the internet and people being more out when talking about it. And back when we were growing up, that was some real nerd shit.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, you want to play, like, a, a Final Fantasy game, like, that's one thing. That's... That's kind of, to be honest with you, a little sus, but like if you pulled out the pen and paper for D&D, fucking social outcast for real. Uh, So, yeah, this is definitely uh, in addition to, you know, the nerds ruining culture overall, they have, uh, I guess, relaxed standards where it's acceptable to say, yes, like I'm into uh, collecting thousands of dollars of little figures and painting them and never playing the game and watching anime and things like that. That's that's okay to do now. Uh, so <clears throat> we can talk about this openly now and that's okay. Uh, and I guess I, I didn't look at the figures, but I feel like games workshop, you know, makes more money than some countries now. Could be the only thing. Powered, more, than,
1: more than some states.
0: Yeah. It could be the only thing powering the UK economy at this moment. Uh, post Brexit that is. So, um, they, they put out, uh, they put out some records here. So I think the first one was actually, uh, blood for the blood God, uh, by Sabbats. Now, uh, if you're familiar with the Warhammer lore, as I am after 10 minutes of uh, reading the uh, the wiki stubs about this, uh, that is a phrase used by the followers of Corn. Uh, uh, that would be one of the uh, chaos gods that likes rocking and rapping.
1: Um, bada bida bada boo That's
0: That's what he says, yes. That's his famous catchphrase. <laughs> oh,
1: that's... <laughs> I get it now when Jonathan Davis is scatting. If you play that in reverse, you'll hear secret messages about Warhammer.
0: Exactly, that's that's so true. Um, so that that one's a pretty on-the-face thing uh, about, um, about Warhammer. Um, <clears throat> as we all know, Bolt Thrower was named for uh, some Warhammer shit. I couldn't tell you what exactly, sorry, didn't follow that closely. I like the band, but not that much. Uh, and their cover art for Realms of Chaos is directly ripped from uh, art made for the Warhammer game. Uh, there was some confusion there as to whether or not this was released in partnership with Games Workshop Records or done stro- solely through Earache, uh with just like their logo attached to it because they were using the album art. Did you follow up on that? I did not. Yeah, I don't. I don't really care that much.
1: Whenever Eirik's involved, I know something is afoot.
0: Yeah, like um, <clears throat> Digby fucked over everybody. Is still fucking over everybody. So if you purchase anything with the bolt thrower name on it, it's almost certainly not going to the band and instead going to Digby himself. Uh, I liked it better when he answered the phones.
1: Uh, I got that reference.
0: <laughs> we all we all love that record. That's that's super cool. Um, I think the game. Uh, it was explained in this video that the games workshop people. Uh, became familiar with uh, Bolt Thrower specifically because they were uh, listening to John Peel's program, uh, which featured uh, Bolt Thrower on it. You know, among like a million other like legendary uh, punk and metal artists, that was one. They were like, "Hey, I recognize that. We make that shit." <laughs> so they reached out to them for there. And, and I, I gotta say, if you're if you were in Bolt Thrower at this time, that's gotta be terribly exciting, right?
1: That's, I guess, your equivalent of making it.
0: Yeah, like, uh, you know, sure, we're assigned to a record label and people like us and all, but, like, the game company we like likes us, too. That's good.
1: <laughs> the thing we like likes us back. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so there were a few others here. Um, <clears throat> did you listen to
1: D-Rock? I listened to one song, and uh, part of the reason why I clicked on it is looking at the artwork, because I thought it was Udo. It does like look like Udo Marine George doesn't
0: it? Yeah. Um, as, as, you know, this couple highlights in the video, uh, the cover art for D-Rock's Oblivion featuring Space Marines uh, firing guns and stuff uh, is not so uh, discreetly just uh, Al Pacino and Scarface, like opening up <laughs> with, the, uh, with the machine gun. Um, and just adding some shoulder pads and shit to it, but as you said, they made him blonde here, and it do- it very much does look like Udo.
1: Doesn't sound like Udo though. It's just kind of rock music about you know putting on your space boots.
2: Here come, here come, here come
0: yeah, I gotta gotta be honest with you. I think this is the weakest release out of all of them what do you
1: think yeah i think that's fair is i didn't look into it. Is d-rock a person is it a real band that happened to contribute to this or is this solely a project just to put out this album so uh
0: d-rock was a a band that was previously a few other bands um for example uh let's see uh the the March Violets was what this band was before, if that means anything to anybody. That was like a gothish band, which this is not. This is hard rockin'. Um, the notable thing for this is that uh, Brian May of Queen played on a couple of songs on this record, huh. uh, and the explanation for that was that uh, his kid uh, likes Warhammer.
1: <laughs> well, that's a funny connection.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, you know, the the things that you do for your kids right it was uh well, it's
1: it's like the picture that's been going around for a while of Corey taylor in full slipknot gear talking to max weinberg um the drummer for bruce springsteen's band and conan o'brien and sitting next to them is just a young jay weinberg dressed up like Corey taylor <laughs> and now he's in the band so i haven't there seen that's a weird actually connection.
0: that's super cute i haven't seen that yet i want to see that um, so yeah, this, this one, you know, it's, that's, that's all you got going for it really is that, that notable connection, but, uh, not, not a lot else to say about it. Uh, there is another one that I would like to talk about a little bit though. Um, Rich Rags, you familiar with the Rich
1: Rags? I am not forward with Richard Rags.
2: Uh,
0: they put out one record, uh, as a band. It was, um, release, on Warhammer Records. It was called Psycho Deadheads from Outer Space. And I gotta say, this one goes. I dig this one a lot. Uh, we can play a little bit of Generation Bubblegum Hell here.
2: This is Generation Bubblegum Hell.
0: I don't know what this has to do at all with Warhammer, other than they use Warhammer cover art for this, which I got to say, I quite like. It's a bunch of, like, I don't know, little orc guys coming at you. It's good, but I like this a lot. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: The downfall of Rich Rags and most of the other bands featured here is that Warhammer Records had the uh, misfortune to... Put out the primate the lion's share of the releases between like 1992 and 1993 and do you know what else was going on at that time
1: not hard rock and heavy metal
0: yeah that's exactly it so this stuff was getting a little passe at the time and unfortunately none of these guys really went anywhere um what about wraith did you get a chance to listen to wraith i did not listen to Wraith. Uh, I think it's good. It's uh, hard and a little bit harder egg shard rockin'. Uh, I quite like it. They had two releases on Warhammer Records, which featured uh, Warhammer cover art. And then uh, on subsequent re-releases, they do not have Warhammer cover art. (laughs) Um, How about Saxon? Do you know Saxon?
1: I know Saxon. They've been around for 40 years and... There are certain people like Chris Jericho who will insist that they were like an extremely important heavy metal band and they still rock to this day and I would just say you're wrong on both accounts. Uh, I think they're you know early new wave of heavy metal and like while other bands like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and all that have had massive success and are legends in the genre Saxon is not. Yep, I think they're still putting out music to this day. Oh yeah, they never stop. And yeah, they never stop. And what was it Biff Bifferson or whatever? <laughs> Biff Byford, the vocalist, like puts out solo stuff. And man, <laughs> it's time to retire.
0: Um, you know, it's cool if you're a Saxon fan, though. You're like, oh man, I'm eating today because I've constantly got records to sort through. Every every day there is a new Saxon record. Um, they put out an album, "Forever Free," that features. I gotta say, pretty fucking shoddy-looking uh, Warhammer artwork here—a little marine guy on a, a shitty little motorcycle. Um, not a fan of it personally, but you know, whatever. That's that's neither here nor there. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, you know, uh, Warhammer Records—it was very short-lived. Uh, and you know it was time to to pull the plug on that and pursue other things like uh, I think Warhammer puts out maybe fifty video games a year now in addition to their uh, their little plastic figgies.
1: Uh, have you seen any of these? I had not. I I assumed it was a thing, but I didn't know it was that many. Do you think there's a rift between the video game players and the the model people? Is it like? Unitarians and Presbyterians and Southern Baptists where all of you like believe in the same thing but with slight differences so you think you're all wrong and want each other to die It's possible.
0: I imagine if you're a, a, a you know a board game player you, you think that you're a false if you play the video games but I've asked this question a couple of times is, and as far as I can tell from the answers I've gotten there is you have to be like a decent Warhammer video game despite being like thousands of them. <laughs>
1: I guess it's like a zombie movie. It's real easy to make a bad one.
0: I guess so, man. Um, it, it seems like the, the the lore is deep enough that you could do a cool RPG type thing, but they're not interested in doing that. They just have a thousand real-time strategy games that I will never play. Uh, and like the occasional first-person shooter that like looks like it'll give me motion sickness. So, not interested. I mean-
1: I guess they could do like an XCOM type thing where you do have the strategy, but it looks decent and the gameplay is good. I I
0: guess so, man. I just, I I can't really do those games. I got fucking PTSD from trying to figure out Command and Conquer back in the 90s. (laughs) I couldn't do it. Communism in space. (laughs) Thank you, Tim Curry. Um What uh, what do you think? Anything you want to add on here about uh, Warhammer Records?
1: I think they could probably revive it, even if it's just like mostly a net label or something, and squeeze a lot of money out of it.
0: I agree, absolutely. Uh, I think that, if anything, this is a, 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 an idea that time has come back around again. I know we say that there is no money in music, but it's different when it's associated with little plastic figures that you make so much money on, dude. <laughs>
1: You have a built-in audience I think people love video game music now um, And it's like relatively easy To make music on your computer Mm -hmm. You don't need bands You don't need lots of studio time I know like WWE just has two guys Who make all their theme songs for them So it could definitely be done And there's not a lot of overhead And I think they could probably make some money off it again
0: I agree. I mean, there are a
1: million like little private press um,
0: vinyl companies that specifically do video game soundtracks or things inspired by video games, and at premium prices, and they make bank. Like, probably, uh, probably not a bad idea. I'd say uh, games workshop people
1: get on the horn. We'll talk to you for oh, yeah, getting that cr- that cross section of heavy metal fans, Warhammer fans, and vinyl nerds. Oh yeah, and just. You're, throwing, making on, you're
0: making money
1: <laughs> throwing on like they have all sorts of strategy books. Just take the artwork from there, put it on vinyl, sell it for $50. People will keep that on their shelf forever.
0: Oh yeah. Shit. We got to get in on this somehow. Uh, we, maybe we should get on the phone with Warhammer. We got to figure that out.
1: Let's, let's buy the Warhammer name just to put out the records on it and make bank.
0: I like that idea. I hope, hopefully they'll license it to us. um, But, you know, speaking of uh, video game shit, (laughs) uh, I had just a thought this morning, one of those rushes of memory come to to mind uh, that uh, a friend of mine in the mid-90s had a CD uh, called Killer Cuts. Do you know what that was? I don't think so. That was a CD release for the Killer Instinct game, like a soundtrack. I was
1: going to so. guess Killer Instinct, but I didn't want to be wrong. And that
0: was like, I don't know, man, that was a pretty fucking groundbreaking thing to do. Uh, Rare, the company that did Killer Instinct alongside Nintendo, uh, who also did like Donkey Kong Country and, uh, and shit like that, like uh, they, they were extremely forward thinking with like creating their own little uh, mini label and uh music specifically to release to enjoy alongside the video game and like and you can look at this on YouTube right now look at all the comments of people like
1: I fucking wore this CD out <laughs> it's kind of like the Mortal Kombat soundtrack people love that too
2: Mortal Kombat
0: and if you you know, I I I've, I've listened I listened to both of them like within a pretty quick succession here I got to say the Killer Instinct one does feel kind of like a uh you know, a Pepsi to the Mortal Kombat, <laughs> <laughs> like Coke here. Uh, so that was released in, uh, let's see here, 1995. Uh, but that was not the only uh, Nintendo record release of that era. Um, there were actually a number of them, including uh, Play It Loud, and one that I learned about uh, recently called White Knuckle Scorin'. Are you
1: familiar with white knuckle scoring? Only because you sent it to me. Now this isn't, Nintendo doesn't have its own record label, but this came out on MCA records in 1991.
0: Um, so Nintendo does have their own record label now, uh, but it's solely like exactly what you would think. It's official releases of game soundtracks so that they can easily put them out on you know CD and vital and make a lot of money off of them. Uh, and they've been doing that for a good number of years now. But this was a different era before video games so were, you know, just omnipresent everywhere. Uh, this was uh, actually licensed by Nintendo and put out through MCA. Uh, it was dedicated to Bobby Brooks, uh, an agent who died in the helicopter crash that killed Stevie Ray Vaughan.
1: Did you know about that? I did not know about that, and that's a real weird connection for all of us.
0: It is weird. I walk my dogs past every single morning past a uh, monument to Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, apparently, he uh, was born in my neighborhood. So interesting stuff. <laughs> uh, they, they pee on it all the time.
1: <laughs> this is what I think of your music.
0: I mean, yes, that is true. Um, the stated purpose of this compilation, "White Knuckles Scoring." was to promote literacy among children and, quote, tap the Nintendo youth market.
1: What? (laughs) So we were just talking about how, like, Warhammer should have this record label and go after metal fans and nerds and vinyl. Like, that all makes some sort of sense. That's a business plan. What the hell is this?
0: I I don't know. And the more that we get into this, the less sense that it makes,
1: actually. Like, you... you or creating a record in honor of a talent agent who passed away that liked Nintendo and the music is going to promote literacy among children
0: Yeah, yeah. That,
1: that play video games.
0: That's a, that's a little convoluted when you say
1: I understand wanting to do something nice for a friend or something like that. The reasoning behind this is a little confusing. Like, wouldn't you want to put out a, I guess a book. A book would make the most
0: sense, I would say. Yes, but no. <laughs> uh, it says here that Bobby Brooks was the agent of many of the artists who appear on this record, including Roy Orbison, Crosby, Stills & Nash, Dire Straits, Flesh for Lulu, and Sheena Easton, all acts that
1: children love. <laughs> and also on this thing is Brittany Fox. Huh, how about that? Um, like you have you have a record that has Crosby, Stills and Nash, Roy Orbison, and Britney Fox.
0: Really wild stuff, man. Um, uh, let's see here. That uh, says that uh, the Orbison song here, uh, I drove all night, was actually the first new song for Orbison, who died three years prior since the release of his last album. So, like, I like Roy Roy Orbison quite a bit, I gotta say, but that's weird that, like, this is the thing that we were like, we gotta unearth, like, this unreleased track for. White knuckle scoring. Roy would have
1: loved this shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's what Roy Orbison would have (laughs) wanted. It's funny. I don't think this happens anymore, but I feel like in the 90s, we had a couple of examples of these beloved... Artists musicians who passed away and then they like rediscover one of their songs and it's a big deal when they put it out like you have this Roy Orbison song there was an Elvis song that came out there was um, the missing Beatles song that came out Uh, later on you had Nirvana Uh, you know you're right I think was the song. There were uh,
0: 50 uh, Tupac records that came out after his death still are coming out.
1: <laughs> and they're just not a thing that happens anymore.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the, this will kind of explain things a little bit. The record White Knuckles score, and again, I, I just love saying that, included a booklet that featured a comic story loosely based on Super Mario World. Uh, it reflects the stated aim of the compilation, in which Princess Toadstool helps Yoshi and the Koopalings learn to read. However, to the chagrin of King Bowser, who persistently remarks that ignorance is bliss. At various points, the characters pause mid-panel to announce song cue to advise the reader to listen to a track on the CD. However, only the opening track, Ignorance is Bliss by Jellyfish, references any aspect of the comic or Nintendo
1: (laughs) just a six year old kid excited to read a comic book about their favorite video game characters and then they're listening to Iron Hand by Dire Straits
0: yeah why not why not man Um, I gotta say uh, I I do want to actually take a look at this booklet here because the concept of like the princess teaching Yoshi and Koopalings how to read is very cute to me
1: I hope Yoshi has Roy Orbison glasses on. Oh, that'd
0: be so cool. Um, my dad had this uh, Roy Orbison record when I was a kid that I was obsessed with, because it's him on the cover, you know, wearing his trademark shades, driving a go-kart. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world, because I thought he'd wear those shades because he was blind. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was like, you idiot.
1: <laughs> He's just looking cool. <laughs> he just looks cool, son. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess we're pretty much told as kids, you either wear sunglasses because it's sunny or because you can't see.
0: Right. I mean, I guess I was confused. He had like Ray Charles records, too. And he was wearing glasses because he was blind. This is difficult for a child to understand, especially a stupid child
1: like I was. And at that time, as kids, Ray Charles was in Pepsi commercials all the time.
0: And occasionally episodes of the Super Dave TV show.
1: So that's kind of... It's a funny thing to think about: is sunglasses equal blind? Duh! And that's just how. That's just all our knowledge of that one thing growing up.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, if you didn't know, uh, Roy Orbison was it was not blind. He was just very cool. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's Nintendo releases and white knuckle scoring. Uh, but let's talk about something else that was very near and dear to a childhood, Joe. Let's talk about Waffle House.
1: Now, do you have waffle house in the northeast not at all i think the closest one is like a thousand miles away damn uh
0: when I was in high school the move was definitely late night waffle house maybe uh maybe some light drinking than waffle house that was always the the right move uh, i love uh, i still like waffle house although i, I will say that the menu is about like a quarter of the size of what it used to be and it's far more expensive like to the standard like you could go to a regular restaurant now for those prices. So maybe I would not recommend it the way that I would enthusiastically have in the past. Uh, but always a good time. Uh, used to be you could smoke in the Waffle House, probably for the best that you can't anymore. Glad that those guys aren't getting secondhand smoke anymore. Uh, I see.
1: I grew up in New Jersey, which is the land of 24-hour diners. Mm-hmm. So there was no need for Waffle House. It's like where I, also I grew up, uh, there was lots of, genuine pizza places and italian restaurants so there really wasn't ever a pizza hut or a domino's whenever people are like remember our youth of the 90s where you'd go to pizza hut and there were red cups and if you read a book you got a free pizza and i'm just like no i I never did that we had real pizza so it's kind of like the same thing with waffle house it's like we had any diner you could think of and their menu is 50 pages long and you can get whatever you want I've never been to a Waffle House because I've never really been to the South all that much. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like on last week's show, you're talking about how you've never been to the North or the Northeast. And as far as the South goes, I've been to like one Duke football game because my cousin played against them and left immediately afterward. Uh, I've been to like the Charlotte Airport, the Atlanta Airport, and I've been to Florida, which doesn't count.
0: No, no. Yeah. So you've just like kind of... Toed around the edge of the south at airports, but like not really got deep in there is, is what you're saying No,
1: I mean like uh, briefly living in Alexandria, Virginia, which is right across the river from DC, which again is not the south
0: So like that's as far north as I've gone. That's as far south as you've gone
1: <laughs> and, and never the two shall meet. <laughs> You stay on your side of the Mason-Dixon. I'll stay on mine.
0: I know this is going to be super weird to people that uh, have listened to the show, but you and I have never met in person once because, again, I guess we both have those invisible barriers uh, of the geography of the country.
1: We also live thousands of miles away.
0: It's very, very far. You have to understand that.
1: Um, we just meet at some uh, agreed-upon time and drive a golden stake into the ground. <laughs> And then immediately start fighting.
0: Yes. Um, where I am from, uh, things are pretty fucking spread out. So if you want a 24-hour breakfast spot, it's either going to be like a truck stop or a Waffle House. Um, so uh, I, I liked I liked going to Waffle House quite a bit when I was a kid. Uh, I checked recently because uh, the, the place that I moved to here in Dallas has a Waffle House down the street from me. Uh, they... The ones that I went to growing up, they had jukeboxes, and they still do, thank God. And available on all of those jukeboxes is Waffle House original music. Now, that's not to say it's only Waffle House original music. You can still listen to like honky tonk bedonka donk on, uh, you know, the the jukebox there. But if you really want to, uh, you can listen to uh, the Waffle House March, uh, raisins in my toast, Waffle House family. Etc. 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 So,
1: Waffle House March sounds like a, a theme song for a fascist takeover.
0: <laughs> March of the Waffle House. March of the Waffle House. <laughs>
1: Oh-ee-oh. Oh-ee-oh. Oh, we oh we
0: oh. Waffle House has been putting out original music on Waffle House records since I think <laughs> the '70s. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, a lot of the. Th- the music that they have is not well attributed to when it was released or who released it. Um, a number of these guys uh, have multiple releases like uh let's see there's uh Danny Jones uh, who did raisins in my toast as well as last night I saw Elvis at the Waffle house. <laughs> Um, a lot of these songs, I don't—they're—they're they're fun, and uh, I think the most recent signing that Waffle House did was in uh, 2021. They had a new artist signed to Waffle House Records, so they're still kicking with this shit, man.
1: So this is all new to me, just again because I've never been to one. You can go to wafflehouse.com/slash/music to discover all of this just weirdness because they have a an app. Where you could play Jukebox music without ever having to leave your table as they advertise it. There are also music videos for their songs. Hell yeah, there are. You have Waffle House, The Burt Video, Summertime and Lemonade, Rock the House, Southern Classic, This Is the Night, and Color Me Gone. And uh, just out of curiosity, these are also on Spotify. Hell yeah, so you they can are. Be, <laughs> be morbidly curious and iTunes. I listen to There Are Raisins In My Toast. That song whips and- ass, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> raisin, raisin. Raisin toast. Raisin toast.
1: Sure, because it's Sherry from the Four Seasons. Yeah, yeah. This is
0: this is this is a very clear rip on the Four Seasons. Raisins. Like
1: yeah, I listened to ten seconds. I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> Sherry, baby. But it's about raisin toast. Um, there there's a lot of variety here,
0: but there's a reason why everybody loves raisins in my toast because everybody fucking loves Frankie Valley.
1: <laughs> and just uh, looking it up on YouTube and reading the comments and. Lots of people saying, my friend put $10 in the jukebox and picked this song 10 times.
0: (laughs) I did that when I was in high school, for sure.
1: (laughs) There was a, in college, There's a local restaurant that had one of these digital jukeboxes, and it had a lot of music on it, and it had a lot of heavy metal, too. And not just Metallica or Guns N' Roses, like Scars of Tomorrow was on there. And like, yeah, like real lesser known stuff. And the weird thing about whenever you play a metal song is the volume on everything got a lot quieter. Hmm. So you can kind of hear the song. But if the place was busy, you couldn't really hear it over people talking. But I had a friend who put ten dollars in the jukebox and played Dragon Forces through the fire. <laughs> and for, you know, and that's a whatever, eight minute, ten minute song. So long. it went on for like an hour. Oh, my God.
0: Um, no, uh, the, uh, the Touch Tunes jukebox thing is a fairly recent phenomenon at the Waffle House when I was going there forever ago. It was I had actual quarters in my pocket because I paid for things in cash.
1: <laughs> There's a, an article about Waffle House Records on NPR. It's from 2016, and they have a quote from Shelby White, who at the time, I don't know if she still does, was the head of Waffle Records. And she explained it as, so it's not Waffle House, Waffle House, Waffle House, over and over again. It's about our food. It's about our people. It's about the things that happen if you just sit in a Waffle House and listen to the conversations around you. We try to represent all that to some degree in the songs. And NPR helpfully spreads out that it's not just pop songs. There's a gospel song. Mm -hmm. They're cooking up my order. Mm -hmm. There's bluegrass, Waffle House Steaks. There's boy band R&B with Waffle House for You and Me. Mm-hmm. And there's good old American rock and roll with Saturday Night at My Place.
0: What we're missing here is fight music. Like, Waffle House needs to put out their own Nuck if you buck. <laughs> you
1: just, you're just you eating Waffle House at 2 in the morning, and you just hear a cymbal crash slowly <laughs> four times. <laughs>
0: it's just the whole Shh. thing turns into a melee. <laughs>
1: Um oh shit. <laughs> like what the fuck is up Waffle House?
0: I love I love Waffle House. Uh I've got very strong memories of it, but at the same time like you cannot argue that there is a specific phenomenon of people fucking fighting at the Waffle House and I feel like yeah, you don't want to encourage that, but you need to acknowledge that's a part of your heritage.
1: <laughs> There was a viral video not that long ago of a fight at Waffle House the where woman catching so, the chair yes. in midair that's a badass. The Dragon Ball Z, bitch. Z character. God, that is a
0: badass picture. That was actually at the uh, the the one Waffle House in Austin.
1: <laughs> yeah, someone just hurls a chair and just one hand catches it like it's nothing.
0: Ah, oh, so cool, man. Um so yeah, that's I think that maybe that's a thing that you and I can work on is we work on a couple of fight songs specifically to get signed to Waffle Records.
1: This one's for all of you who have been down with us since uh, (laughs) 1973.
0: (laughs) This one's called Scattered, Smothered, and Fucked Up!
1: (laughs) Scattered, Smothered, and Covered.
0: Love it. I, I... I'm going to sample that, by the way. <laughs> uh, what do you What do you think? Is there another novelty record label you'd like to talk about here?
1: Uh, there's one we can briefly talk about, and briefly because there's not much to it, but when you mentioned the Warhammer thing, my mind initially went to WWE's SmackDown Records.
0: SmackDown? Tell me about SmackDown Records.
1: Well, there's not much to tell about it, because they put out, like, a compilation record of their theme songs, and one band's record, and that's it.
0: Okay, so give me an idea of when this existed, this record label existed.
1: I actually was able, through the help of archive.org, find uh, a press release about SmackDown Records, and this is from July 16th, 2001. And this is about signing the band Neurotica, and we'll get to them in a second. Okay. SmackDown Records, the music label of WWE Entertainment, will offer its first new artist release this fall with Neurotica, the eponymously titled new album from the hard-hitting Florida-based band. We're going to be releasing two to three artists per year, and we're excited that our first new artist is a band as strong and talented as Neurotica, Wait, Ron McCarroll. Wait,
0: wait, I think I know who Neurotica is. Is that, uh, fuck, uh, the guy that was an atheist, right?
1: Yes, it is Kelly Schaefer's new metal band.
0: Oh my God, that's so fucking funny, dude.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so after Atheist, he formed this band, Neurotica, and really got into new metal, like wearing goggles and the whole shtick. And their claim to fame was they were on Ozfest, and they put out uh, a self-titled record, the only record that Smackdown Records ever put out.
0: That's a pretty good claim to fame. Um, I remember uh, one of my cousins had a bunch of the um, uh, WWF, the music uh, albums. So he was mm-hmm. he was the target market for, I guess, Smackdown records. I don't think he had the Neurotica record, though, unfortunately.
1: Sure, you can get it for real cheap at any sort of record store or used bookstore. <laughs> so this press release continues. The album features high-intensity, hard rocking tunes like Ride of Your Life, All My Friends Crush You, and Up in the Hay, Uh and radio-friendly power ballads like Said She. To me, they're an amalgamation of lots of rock influences, declares producer Doug Kay, with the common ingredients being equal parts melody and aggression. We're influenced by many different types of music, confirms singer Kelly Schaefer, but what's really important to us is the emotion that certain songs provoke. On stage, we have an extremely high energy level that we combine with big musical melodic hooks.
0: I see. Can't believe they weren't more successful, man. Uh what do you well did you listen to it? Do you want to a baby? You ride, ride out your life. Who are you?
1: As far as new metal goes, it's very generic. The only reason why I remember that this band exists is because in the summer of when they played Ozfest, um, I guess 2002, I think it was, uh, I listened to Seton Hall's radio station, WSOU, which is a heavy metal station, other than Sundays where they play Christian music and church services. They play heavy metal, and I happened to be driving that day, listening to the radio station when Ozfest was happening in mm-hmm. New Jersey, and they interviewed the band. And for whatever reason, it's just a memory I have of them interviewing this band that was on WWE's record label.
0: <laughs> uh, and that's, one, that's something that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life.
1: Lucky me! Yeah. I don't remember how to do fractions, but I remember this. Yeah, uh, you
0: don't need that shit. That's fine. Um. Well, uh, that's a shame. Uh, I feel like uh, maybe now that the Saudis have invested in WWE, that we can get a resurgence of uh, of the music wing of uh, of World Wrestling Entertainment.
1: No, it's not the. I mean, the Saudis just give fifty million dollars so that they can have a pay per view, but they don't actually own it. Thankfully, instead they own you know PGA golf now and there's talk of them buying up other leagues and sports. So that's real fun to think about.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I, I'm okay giving up uh, the PGA. Like they had their rival thing and then they just absorbed it. The PGA itself. That's fine. Cause golf is for assholes anyway. But like, I would prefer that maybe uh, the people that did nine 11 stay out of like other <laughs> beloved institutions in sport. That would probably be nice.
1: Yeah. Like, don't buy a sports team.
0: Oh God, that's definitely going to happen. The fucking Jerry Jones is going to die, and like
1: <laughs> America's team is going to be owned by the Saudi royal family.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely what's going to happen. Knowing my luck, <laughs> I'd do anything for Jerry Jones to no longer be the owner of the Cowboys and then the <laughs> Monkey Paw Girls.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> In conjunction with Ronnie Radke, the bloody <laughs> family would like to announce.
0: Um, pretty good stuff. Uh, what other uh, What other record labels should we talk about here?
1: Here's one that's a blast from the past that I remembered that was a record label, but I think people mostly will know this from the compilation album that was in every Hot Topic and Fye for a couple of years and. If those still exist, you can probably find a used copy for a couple of pennies. Yes. MySpace Records.
0: MySpace Records. Now, I remember specifically the compilation that you're talking about. Uh, That had a bunch of bands that would go on to be beloved today, and then a bunch that are very much reviled to this day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I remember the compilation more for the cover because it featured pictures of myspace celebrities Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: yeah like uh boy some again some of those people are still around today really wild stuff uh the record itself uh featured afi which some of you people are obsessive about and i don't understand at all um the click five which i think they were like in a commercial for like a coke or something and then that was the that was the end of them Uh, Fallout Boy, um, Dashboard Confessional, Weezer, uh, which is unfortunately still a band, uh, Hollywood Undead, Against Me, very much beloved now, uh, and Tila Tequila.
1: What happened to Tila Tequila? She had her own MTV show for a while, Mm -hmm. A Shot of Love with Tila Tequila, which again, weird memory things that I have. I had a job interview uh, in DC in like the mid 2000s, mid late 2000s, and they put me up in a hotel for the night. And it was like a decent hotel, it wasn't a Holiday Inn or a Clarion Hotel or whatever, or Motel 6. But for whatever reason, the TV in the room only had like seven or eight channels. Hmm. Real weird. And like the only watchable channel was like mtv everything else was stuff i couldn't possibly want to watch and it was just showing episodes of a shot of love with tila tequila so i watched two of them and my soul left my body for the rest of the night
0: (laughs) um yeah the last i saw of tila tequila she got banned from twitter because she was like uh, expressing a uh, support of hitler uh, so I think she migrated over to Gab and I'm not I don't I'm not active over there, so I can't tell you what she's doing now.
1: Um, My space. Um, I went to her Wikipedia page. I'm making a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Tequila has expressed her belief that the earth is not a sphere, but is flat. In 2018, she began using a new stage name, Tornado Theen. Aha. Uh huh. Legal issues, discography, filmography, television, awards and nominations, including AVN Award for Best Celebrity Sex Date.
0: Oh, that's a... I don't like that that's an award category. That's that's very disturbing to me.
1: After expressing her support of Adolf Hitler and making anti-Semitic and white nationalist comments, she, ex- she was expelled from Celebrity Big Brother.
0: Damn shame, man. Um... The artists signed to MySpace Records. Uh, let's see, there was Hollywood Undead. Um, maybe like the nadir of music, I would say, in my opinion, that band. What do, you, what do
1: you think? Rap, metal with guys wearing masks, that should not still be a band, and somehow they are still putting out music to this day. Yeah. Uh, like that should have been a one-and-done thing.
0: Uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, let's see, they also had... Um, Pennywise, a uh, band that I, I guess somebody out there might enjoy, and Mickey Avalon. Do you remember Mickey Avalon?
1: That sounds like a gangster.
0: It does kind of. Uh, no, Mickey Avalon was most famous, I would say, for uh, his novel to hit, My Dick. My dick
2: need no introduction. Yo, dick, don't even function. My dick served a whole luncheon. Yo, dick, it looked
1: like a munch. They also had Christina Milian, who I've heard of.
0: I don't know that I have.
1: <laughs> she has an extensive Wikipedia page.
0: Um, and uh, I think what, she was a
1: Disney Channel person. Oh,
0: okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's all anybody would have heard of here. Uh, oh, wait, there was Dirt Nasty, which was the rap project of one of the guys that was in Scary Movie. <laughs> Great. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, wh- what else we got here?
1: Um, that's it. As far as like MySpace records, there was, uh, I didn't know about, I didn't know about this, but now that it's, we've been talking about it, maybe it's somewhere in the back of my mind. Starbucks had their own record label.
0: Oh my God. I kind of remember this too. Um, it, this would be in the mid two thousands, right?
1: Yeah. It's here. Music is what it was kind of the, the name it was under, but it was a record label, it was founded in 2007 in a partnership between Concord Music Group and Starbucks. Your Music began as a catalog company in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1990 for being purchased by Starbucks in 1999. Huh. And it wasn't just a record label. There was like a whole concept and plan behind this that was probably developed by people in suits who don't actually understand how things work. What, what? The Hear Music brand has four components. The music that each location plays In-store CD sales, including Starbucks exclusives, branded retail stores, which opened shortly after the catalog was formed, and a label distributing their recordings. As of December 2006, there were four Starbucks Hear Music coffee houses. I'm curious if these things still exist.
0: I I can tell you I have been to one of them, and it is no longer there.
1: Good. (laughs) Ten Starbucks locations also had Hear Music media bars. A service which uses tablet PCs to allow customers to create their own mix CDs. Wow! The media bars were located in Seattle and Austin.
0: What? That's so funny! Like, like we have this technology. Like, literally everybody. Like in this era of the 2000s, everybody has a home computer that has a CD drive that I desperately wish I still had uh, that uh, allows you to quickly make a mixtape and everybody was doing it all the time. And some dickhead in a suit is like, what if we did that in a retail location?
1: (laughs) I mean, those same people are like, what if we invented buses? Uh, Yes. That exact same asshole. So it's this weird, like business plan of like being a record label, but also having physical locations where people can buy coffee and listen to music more and, you know, Obviously, that didn't work out so well. Uh, but in 2007, they created Hear Music Record Label. The company's first artist signing was Paul McCartney. Jesus. Leaving his longtime label, EMI. In July 2007, the label signed Joni Mitchell. Jesus. In March 2008, it was announced that Carly Simon had Jesus. signed with the label and would be releasing a new album entitled This Kind of Love. In April 2008, her first collection of original songs since 2000. She blamed poor sales on Hear Music's failure to promote the album. She sued the company and lost.
0: Damn, that sucks.
1: So here's the other roster people that uh, some people will have at least heard of. Antigone Rising.
0: Wait, uh, who? Wait, I don't remember them at all. I know the name. Okay. <laughs> the
1: Cars. That's a pretty big name, yeah. <laughs> the Chieftains. Huh. Elvis Costello. Uh, that, huh. Carol King. Wow. John Mellencamp. Boo! Joni Mitchell. Wow. Carly Simon. Wow. Paul Simon. Wow. <laughs> James Taylor. Huh. And Sonic Youth. So- what?
0: Sonic Youth? I guess that wasn't one of the noise records that they were putting out through Starbucks,
1: was it? Maybe it was. Kind of <laughs> hope. It's the record they put on to get people to leave when it's uh, ten o'clock. <laughs> uh,
0: I remember, uh, like, it was a pretty big deal for a period there, uh, where you could only buy uh, some some records at a Starbucks, and like, they were kind of a big deal. Like, I remember Alanis Morissette's acoustic version of Jagged Little Pill was like a big hit for some reason, and you could only buy it at the fucking counter at a Starbucks.
1: The limited availability of this album led to a dispute between Maverick Records and HMV Canada, who retaliated by removing Morissette's other albums from store shelves for the duration of Starbucks' exclusive sale.
0: Damn, poor Alanis caught in the middle of his controversy.
1: The biggest seller was Ray Charles's Grammy-winning Genius Loves Company, with sales of 2.86 million records. 25% of those were sold at Starbucks.
0: That is fucking crazy. And also, yeah, I remember that record. It was was just a big fucking deal. Like, he was doing duets with, like, Elton John and shit. (laughs) Um, Wow. Uh, But, you know, because I guess CDs that are no longer profitable, this... I don't... Do you think Starbucks still sells CDs? I haven't been to a Starbucks in years.
1: Uh, Neither have I. I mean, I don't... Drink coffee anyway, so I have no reason to go, but they think they just sell tchotchkes now, like, Uh, buy this $25 to-go cup that's shiny and has their logo on it.
0: Oh, okay. That's a little less fun, I would say. I mean, all this music is very much, like, uh, of the vein of, like, you're a middle-aged person that sometimes buys a record or whatever, so it's not that exciting or whatever, but it's still kind of an interesting artifact of the way that music used to be distributed in this country. Um, but let's talk about one that we kind of came out of uh, left field and was more, a, I guess, relevant to our concerns. We've got to talk about Scion AV, man. You remember Scion AV?
1: It was... They don't still exist, do they?
0: No, Scion got folded into Toyota completely in 2013, maybe, I guess.
1: Uh, in like the mid to late 2000s early 2010s. They were a car company that was marketing to young people and specifically heavy metal fans.
0: So I, uh, I've i never driven a Scion. I've never been in a Scion car, actually. Uh, I thought that they were horrifically ugly. But I will say the greatest, I guess, corporate largesse to the world of independent music came from this fucking car company that no longer exists. Uh, they put out so many records Uh, let's see by the end they had 143 releases like physical copies of things they worked with over 1500 artists uh, for their uh, compilations, for their festivals which they had specific festivals like for different genres of music as well Um, they put a lot a lot of money into bands they paid artists to make these records and make these videos, they distributed them, uh, they put on the events and they did they chose that they would not make a profit from the A V segment of the business. All of the artists retained ownership of everything they put out through Scion. They covered the production costs, licensing fees, and distribution for all of them, and every dollar went to the artists. Can you yeah, imagine can you imagine anything like that happening now?
1: Never never in a million years and it's
0: like now you've got guys that are like uh, Liquid death gave us a case of water. I am forever in their fealty
1: <laughs> and The way things are going these record labels are just going to own your actual voice and use AI to create new songs with it
0: uh, Yeah, so this is such a fucking outlier in the history of anything in the music industry like, and that's
1: why I went out of business.
0: I know, right? <laughs> no, nothing this good could ever stick around.
1: They did the right thing and catered to things we specifically like and now they're no more.
0: Yeah, they they catered to things that like I appreciate on so many levels and in return I would never even consider getting in one of their cars. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they uh, they put out records for Sugar, They put out Immolation. They put out Magruder Grinds best release, a 10-inch EP. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's wild. The, they worked with like every member of Wu-Tang, including the affiliates that nobody cares about.
1: <laughs> this is what happens when you let people like us in charge of something. You put out awesome stuff and then you go out of business.
0: Yes, that's correct. Uh, I know that, you know, over the years you and I have talked about this, uh, Scion AV, but like, I just want to give it a mention here because this will never happen again. And never. I really I appreciated it when it was going on. I remember a lot of people were like calling uh, some punk bands posers for working with Scion. But like you could not get a better deal. Uh, You were taking a handout from a corporation in return for absolutely nothing uh, because you get to keep everything you get nothing but profit. This this was an anomaly.
1: (laughs) And I'm just going through their rock festival lineups. Uh, which was in the first year was in atlanta second year was in columbus ohio third year pomona california fourth year tampa fifth year memphis and final year was in pomona again so this was all over the place and just as a reminder at least the first festival had this was 2009 mastodon neurosis high on fire pig destroyer boris baroness torch Kylesa. Wolves in the Throne Room, Kralis, Withered, U.S. Christmas, Salome, Zoroaster, Coalesce, Tear, Rake, Harvey Milk, A Storm of Light, Alstorm, Converge, Cryptopsy, Septic Flesh, Warbringer, Toxic Holocaust, Skeleton Wish, Trash Talk, and Nochnistium, who didn't play. <laughs>
0: That lineup is so wild because I feel like I saw 90% of those bands in the year 2009 specifically.
1: (laughs) That was the specific year. This was like the year of relapse. Yeah. If people want to go back onto our Patreon and listen to our label ball of relapse records, they can hear us go through a bunch of those bands and be like, yeah, they haven't done anything since.
0: I got to say, though, I I still think that was a good year for metal. I I liked most of those bands that we just went through. I had a great time seeing them live back when they were still active. Some of them and like are that,
1: that, And like that theme of we're just putting on shows with cool, lesser known bands just went throughout the entire run of this. Yep. Um which like even now with the festivals that we have, they don't have this level of here's a small band that no one really knows about that's you know, doing okay that we're gonna put them on. Like in the last uh version of the festival in twenty fourteen, Power Trip was on it.
0: Incredible. Um like and that was pretty early in the Power Trip saga too. So like they were they were on
1: it. So yeah, on this stage, Midnight Blast, Exhumed, Power Trip, in Cold Blood, Speedwolf, and Necrogoblicon. sponsored by a car company.
0: We'll never have it so good ever again, man. Uh, that's a shame, um, but you know I'm pouring one out. Uh, this car company. Uh, is the only corporate players who ever do anything good for artists, and we will remember it. <laughs> um, quickly going through a couple of others, you found that Playboy, uh, that would be the uh, soft uh, soft focus, uh, gentleman's magazine, uh, had a record label back in the day as well, right?
1: Yeah, they had a record label in the 70s. There's really no one on here that, anyone listening would know. I mean, but it was
0: some, some of our Southern listeners would know, uh, Mickey Gilly, uh, who had a, um, a chain of nightclubs called Gillies and also a brand of beer called Gilly beer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that uh, the cousin to Billy beer?
0: Yes, it is.
1: (laughs) Playboy records was also home to the early 1972 and 1973 U S single releases by soon to be international superstars ABBA that's pretty wild. I don't know exactly how it worked out because
0: I'm just looking at the Discog's uh, lists of records from uh, Playboy Records. They also were involved somehow in releasing uh, Jonathan Richman and the Modern Lover's early records, which is pretty wild too. Those are good records.
1: The label was relaunched in 2001 as a jazz imprint distributed by Concord Records. Sony Music's legacy recordings handles Playboy Records catalog from the 1970s.
0: I listened to uh, the record here or the song here that was listed as the uh, the biggest seller for Playboy Records. This would be uh, "Fallen in Love" by Hamilton Joe Frank and Reynolds, which that name is a little rough on the tongue. I gotta say, this doesn't flow. No, and this is uh, just kind of like what every seventies uh, adult like contemporary pop song sounded like to me. Like the no sauce, no flavor at all. But people loved this shit back in the day. Um. I don't know, man. I I, I don't really care for the uh, the stuff of the 70s. How about you?
1: No, disco, pop, whatever. You'd think, well, you know what, I was thinking Playboy should do this, but this probably would have been a better thing for Hustler (laughs) or Penthouse, but a record of sexy sounds and, you know, maybe someone reading Penthouse letters, Mm. just record, CD, MP3, something like that. That seems like a missed opportunity.
0: Uh, having uh read through uh Vintage uh, Hustlers for a Patreon episode by the way patreon.com/hell you can catch uh lots of stories about sleazy 80s heavy metal guys from the pages of Hustler. Uh, that magazine is probably more sorted to more suited to its porno grind. <laughs> very 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 gross. Um moving on here I think we got to close things up pretty quick right?
1: Yeah we can finish up with Possibly the most fun discovery that we've made while Uh, researching this.
0: We are going to spend more time on this in a future episode. But we discovered that Hanna-Barbera, the cartoon studio that did, like, um, what, Scooby-Doo and shit like that?
1: Scooby-Doo, Yogi, just all the cartoons of your youth. Flintstones, Jetsons. Uh,
0: They briefly had a record label uh, where they put out uh, music from, like, the five Americans... Uh, which is actually a Texas band, um, as well as like uh, the gu- Guillotines, uh, uh, <laughs> Danny Hutton, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we discovered a record here uh, called "Monster Shindig." Now, this would be released in 1965. Uh, this would be near where the Monster Mash had had been uh, had left America in its ruins, uh, nothing would ever be the same. Uh, but this, I, I discovered this. Uh, this is like a story record, I guess, that Hanna-Barbera Records put out uh, that includes uh, not only the Monster Shindig song, the Super Snooper song, there is the Monster Jerk song.
1: <laughs> that is not what you think it is, everyone. You can stop giggling.
0: And I, I can't tell you which one I like more: the Monster Shindig or the Monster Jerk. There's a, There's a lot to love here, man.
1: There's not enough songs with shindig in them.
0: I I, I will absolutely agree with that. Uh, I discovered um, <clears throat> this, uh, this song, The Monster Jerk, uh, was featured on a uh, compilation record from the 60s called Monster Dance Party Riboflavin Flavored Non-Carbonated Polyunsaturated Blood, featuring Don Henson and the Rigamorticians. <laughs> and this is... Uh, fucking catnip for me. This is nothing but old 60s pop songs about monsters dancing, and I I love that shit, man.
1: (laughs) We need that to come back to as well, because, you know, everyone... There's... Like Dinosaur Dracula will do all sorts of old 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s nostalgia Halloween displays and candy and things like that. So... There is an audience for this sort of fun, monster, innocent, good time stuff. So more songs about monsters partying and having werewolf bar mitzvahs. Uh,
0: that's really all I want in music. So I'm hoping that like the next big trend uh, in metal circa 2024 is going to be uh, songs about delightful little creatures dancing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to send you one of the seven inches that... Uh, 7-inch EP, I should say, <clears throat> uh, that was on Hanna-Barbera Records. And you can tell me if you want to read this title or not on the air. <clears throat> uh,
0: this would be from Huckleberry Hound, uh, deli- you know, creature that everybody loves. <clears throat> the title is Uncle Remus tells the story of Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby, <laughs> starring Huckleberry Hound. <sighs> <Whew. gasps> <clears throat> <clears throat> Maybe everything from the 60s wasn't always so... Fun and lighthearted.
1: <laughs> Zippity don't, duh. Uh,
0: I really thought this was the domain of Disney, so it's kind of cool to see that this, No, it's actually all of the major uh, children's entertainment companies were, were doing this specific thing.
1: Huckleberry Hound needed to get in on the act around the same time he ran for president. <laughs> uh, what do you think here? should you, Should we maybe put a fork in this one because we
0: are going a little overboard on it?
1: Yeah, I think that's enough for now. If people want to let us know of any other small, tiny, weird record labels like this, uh, you know, we only briefly started researching us and started falling down rabbit holes. So I'm sure there's other ones out there. Um, you can send us an email, total of hell at gmail.com, total of hell radio at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Joe Thrashnakell at 365 Days of Horror. Follow us on Instagram You can follow us on Blue Sky now as well, and sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash Hell.
0: We got lots of good content there for you, years of bonus episodes and playlists that I work my ass off every month for. Please listen to those. Uh, (laughs) uh, I think that's all I got, man. I think that we'll have to see you all next time.
1: Bye. 66.6 FM Radio
0: Radio. TOVH The Flush